And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Ready to start another week of mayhem and chaos. Afternoon, everyone. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. We are live from the bunker, broadcasting to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you are so inclined, you can uh, you can watch Odyssey on Roku. So you can put us up on the big screen if you want. Happy to have all of you here. And uh, if you're here live, you can jump in the chat, leave your comments. If you're uh, with us in replay, you can also leave comments. You can always send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. This show is available on a number of podcast platforms, if that's your preferred mode of consumption. And, of course, we're on all the socials, and we've got a newsletter. And one of these days, I will get a newsletter out. I know I keep saying that. We were supposed to do money talk today, but Dan is feeling under the weather and Matt's having some technical computer issues, so we're going to bump it to next Monday. We've got a new H2O tonight, and I think I think we have our topic. I think tonight we're going to be talking about unexpected casting announcements, so uh, this kind of spins out of the news that Christopher Walken is going to be in Dune as the Emperor, and uh, we said... Hey, I wonder who else who else gets announced in a casting news item that was unexpected. So we'll be probably talking about that tonight. And we've got the Ranker Pit tomorrow night. And we'll have some kind of a conversation about something related to Star Wars. I don't know. Uh, anyway, speaking of podcasts, it's good to see all of our listeners here. We've got Ireland, Canada, Russia, Germany, Spain. Lots of different people listening to the program in various different parts of the world. Happy to have all of you with us. And <clears throat> I want to send out some congratulations to Eric July. He's launched the Ripaverse. Uh, over the weekend, and he's got his first campaign live. And it doesn't look like he's doing Kickstarter or Indiegogo. He's doing his own. And the first campaign is live. There's 75 days to go, and he's already over half a million dollars. I'm in the wrong business, clearly. So there we are. So congratulations to Eric. Uh, go check that out. Ripaverse.com is uh, is the uh, is the site for that, so uh, you can check that out. Okay, so over the weekend we've got Thor four, Thor Love and Thunder, which uh, is doing really, really, really well at the box office. <coughs> Except. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this 
just for a second here because it's an interesting situation here. Uh, and yes, Dave, Sci-Fi for Me TV can adapt faster than a stone Martin Weasel, and we we are we are very good at that. Wait, what happened? We got to do what? Okay, we'll change it. So here's the headline from Variety. Box office. Thor 4 unearths $159 million overseas, $302 million globally. Now, a couple of things with this headline. One, Thor 4 seems like an interesting bit of nomenclature, and there's a reason for that. And two... You'll notice that the headline emphasizes the overseas market, not the domestic U.S. market. And there's a reason for that as well. Because the domestic U.S. market is not doing very good. We get down into this article here. <clears throat> Reading from this, this is, uh, this is Variety. Rebecca Rubin. This is posted on July 10th. So this is yesterday, Sunday. Disney's Marvel adventure Thor Love and Thunder has thundered to $302 million at the global box office thanks to a better-than-expected $159 million start overseas. Okay. Overall ticket sales mark a franchise best start for Marvel's standalone stories about Chris Hemsworth's God of Thunder. It's very interesting how they're characterizing this because this is this is not something that I remember seeing in various other places as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's always been presented as a whole. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? The Thor solo movies have always been... I mean, any of the solo movies, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, any of those... They've always been described as solo films as part of the MCU. This is the first I recall seeing the Thor franchise described as a standalone series. And I thought, that's very curious. Why would they describe it such? Why would they start to characterize the solo films as a standalone franchise. And then I got to thinking, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're getting ready to start carving up the Marvel Cinematic Universe because there are certain parts of it that don't work as well as others. And the performance at the box office has not been as gargantuan as the films that we got in the first three phases. Phase four has not done as well. We'll say that. Uh, and and uh, I see some chatter there asking Mrs. Boss if she liked it. She says yes-ish. Her exact, her exact review quote. If if you if you want to hear what exactly she said, I was entertained. Probably won't remember much after that. That's what she said coming out of the theater. And she's much more generous to this film than I am. I 
one I, I I'm working on my review. I'm, I was hoping to get it out before this, but uh, I haven't I haven't managed to do that yet because I had other things take take priority over the weekend. Uh, I got a wood chipper. Had to put together the wood chipper. Now, folks, I'm going to give you a little bit of a PSA here. If you are working with a wood chipper, be very, very, very careful. Now, I still have all of my fingers. But that thing, you put anything in the slot, it will grab it and yank it. You need to be very, very careful. That's the PSA for today. All right, now, getting back to this article here. <coughs> Excuse me. Internationally, the fourth standalone Thor film. Now, that's that's normally how they characterize it, the standalone Thor film, the solo film. Internationally, the fourth standalone Thor film is playing in 47 markets, excluding France, China, and Russia. And it doesn't look like it's going to run in China at all. Uh, in like-for-like like territories, Thor Love and Thunder ranks as the 11th biggest global debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ranking 19% ahead of Thor Ragnarok, 75% ahead of Thor The Dark World, 156% ahead of the MCU's first foray with Thor. Outside of North America, and, and, and again, get, get the emphasis here. See where they're, doing, uh, where they're doing this. Outside of North America, Thor 4 enjoyed the strongest start in Korea, uh, followed by the United Kingdom. It basically goes through all of the different territories where this thing opened up. But they're not talking about the U.S. They're not talking about the United States domestic box office. There's a reason for that. And there's a couple of, there's a couple of pieces of hijinks in that as well. Uh, okay, so all of the different all of the different things about the revenue and the IMAX and all this other thing and everything, but it only did 143 million in the U.S. Well, short of the original projections, a lot of people were thinking anywhere from 180 to 200 million. I know they're talking about it over on Midnight's Edge right now. Lower than 150 was not the original projections. They were thinking that this was going to be something that was going to do a lot better than it did. But the spin today is, look how great it's doing. And the focus is, look how great it's doing everywhere else but the U.S. Because in the United States, we're looking at this, and we're looking at the marketing for it, and we're hearing the word of mouth, and we're getting the rumors and the, and the, and the chatter ahead of time. And people are not interested in seeing this movie. Not to the degree that the, the trades would want you to believe. The other part of that is these box office numbers are a little bit, a little bit hinky, because we've got a report, I believe it was in Deadline, that uh, the movie theaters did the same thing with Thor as they did with the Batman, in, in, in which they busted up and increased the prices of the tickets for Thor Love and Thunder. So you're spending more per ticket... Which means, yes, the box office is, you know, the box office is good-ish. But there's not as many people that are going to see the movie. 
you get the same same amount of money for fewer people. So the audience isn't there. And I saw one calculation that uh, that there was, I think, two million people less seeing this movie than uh, than saw either either uh, Doctor Strange two or or Ragnarok. I can't remember which one. I don't have it in front of me. But there's not as much interest in Thor: Love and Thunder, and I think there's a lot of lot of reasons why for that. A lot of people didn't think that it, the, the whole Jane Foster thing was going to be interesting, and it kind of okay, fine. I mean, if you're not familiar with Jason Aaron's run in the comic books, you don't know that this was a thing in the comic books. Why is Jane Foster able to take Mjolnir? And then we don't even see it happen in the movie. I might get into some minor spoilers today. I'm not going to spoil it totally for people who really want to go see it and you haven't had a chance to. I don't want to ruin it. But it's not a good movie. It's serviceable at best. When I came out of that movie theater, I felt like I had watched the Green Lantern movie again. It's two... It's two films competing for time it's a three stooges comedy in which thor jane foster and valkyrie are all larry fine and and it's dropped into a 1940s noir greek tragedy I had a thought over the weekend a better way to describe it than the Three Stooges dropped into a Greek tragedy, but I, I can't remember how I did. But it was brilliant. But this, this serves just as well. The Three Stooges dropped into a Greek tragedy made in the 1940s. I mean, it's, there's, there's so much competing tone. The whiplash on this film is unreal because you'll have a scene where something really dark and heavy and grim and threatening and menacing and terrible, terrible villain stuff with Gore, the God Butcher. I mean, think about that. Gore the God Butcher. That's a terrible thing. He's a very, very evil person. You have that, and then you flip five seconds later, not even five seconds later, immediately within the scene, and they're cracking jokes. It, it, and I've seen the comparison that if Ragnarok is Batman, what is it, Batman Forever, and Love and Thunder is Batman and Robin, accurate. Except, the reason why Batman and Robin exist, now this is the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as, 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 as Victor Freeze. And Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. The reason that movie exists is because Warner Brothers Marketing said, we've got to sell toys. Make this movie to sell toys. And that's why you have all of the gadgets and all of the extra costumes and all of the stuff, right? All of the tchotchkes and all of the big, massive set dressings and props and all of that. It was a, it was a toy commercial. This doesn't even have that. I mean, you've got the Lego set with the screaming goats and the boat. But I haven't seen very much in the way of merchandising that comes out of this related to that. 
This isn't even a toy commercial. And it's not woke. There are some people that, oh, Jane Foster is going to be Thor. It's going to be woke. It's not. I mean, there's a there's a couple of hints and bits about Valkyrie's bisexuality. Okay, it's their throwaway lines. We need to stop assuming everything's going to be woke just because it's coming out of Hollywood. And Christian Bale does a fine job. He chews the scenery with with as much enthusiasm as you could expect off of this stuff, given the fact that they didn't that he wouldn't let them take his nose. So you, it is, it is Christian Bale. He looks kind of like Gore from the comic books, but not exactly. But it's not a good movie. And to be honest, none of the stuff in Phase 4 has been all that great. But when I say it feels like Green Lantern and you have two different stories competing with each other, you've got Taika Waititi's comedy, which he, he dialed up to 11 because Ragnarok was successful. Oh, everybody loves a Thor comedy. Let's make it a Thor comedy. But then you also have the menace of the gore storyline. You have this terrible evil villain who's killing gods, quote-unquote, gods indiscriminately just because his daughter died. And they've simplified his origin for the sake of the movie. It's a little bit more complicated than that in the comic books. But it, you have Taika Waititi making a, making a comedy, a Three Stooges slapstick comedy, and somebody else, whether it's Feige or someone, somebody else making the Gore the God Butcher story movie. And when you have this whole four and a half hours of film, and it's got to get cut down to two hours, something's got to give. And they're competing for each other. They're competing for time. They're, they're, they're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you have absolutely no... I'm like, what kind of a movie am I watching here? And it's a comic book movie. I don't expect it to make a whole lot of sense all the time, 100% of the time. But at the very least, your story should be coherent enough that I can follow it without whiplash. And, and the jokes fall flat. They're very forced. The comedy is there for the sake of comedy. They don't serve any purpose. Because if you're in something so dark and grim and heavy, occasionally you're going to lighten the mood with, with humor. It's a pressure release, right? It's not like that in this film. It's forced, and it's the juxtaposition between the comedy and the menace is just jarring. And, it, and, and it's very clear that they weren't sure what kind of movie they wanted to make. I don't know. It just, it just feels like I, I watched... The, I, it, I, I watched Green Lantern again. And when I came out of the theater, I was angry. 
because I wasted two hours that I could have been done. I could have been doing other things. And because of that, Friday night, I was up till four o'clock in the morning getting ready for Good Morning Multiverse because I spent two hours Wednesday watching Thor. And I didn't need to. What about, what about says Hollywood has no issue assuming every critic is a World War II vin, villain. Uh, I think all, assuming all their crap is woke is pretty mild by comparison. Well, uh, okay, except, except if we make that assumption, and that's the that's the thing on on some of this stuff because you know we we make that assumption. It's it's one of those things where you you could be creating uh you could be creating your own problems. That's uh, that's that's not a good way that's not a good way to say it. There's a there's a reason why there's a reason why I encourage people to wait for the other shoe to drop. Let the story play out. A little bit before you start making assumptions. I mean, we're we're seeing we're seeing that with a lot of different things right now. And the assumption went from the get-go when they announced that that Natalie Portman was coming back and she was going to be wielding Mjolnir and and all of this, everybody just assumed. Everybody made made all sorts of predictions and comments and whatnot. And a lot of these people weren't familiar with the comic book story where this happens. You know, Jane Foster with cancer, she gets Mjolnir and and all of that. But the we I just I just think we have to be careful. And and yeah, what about I I I know the way they they marketed this. It's like any other thing. They they focus on the identity and the and the intersectionality, and they don't they don't focus on story. There wasn't a lot of that, but there was there was some of that. It was especially especially prevalent in, in Captain Marvel, but I think they I think they learned from that. But I also think too, and, and they made this point over on Midnight's Edge they were talking about this this being another less than optimal performance from the from the Disney, from the Iger Disney crowd. That maybe Bob Chapek is letting this play out in order to strengthen his hand when it comes time for him to start swinging the axe. And I think there might be some to that. Maybe. But we'll see. Uh, I, it's, it, it, it's, it's just not a good movie. And you can tell, you know, they spent a whole lot of time on, on the visual effects. Some of it's still kind of dodgy. And that's you know we we get into we get into our actual topic here, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up and then we're gonna go go to a break and and then we'll come back and and talk about this. This is an article that ran in thegamer.com over the weekend. Rhiannon Biven is the is the article writer. VFX artists are refusing to work with Marvel due to stress and unrealistic deadlines. When it rains, it pours. You know, I'm wondering why I'm wondering at the timing of this, but this this doesn't look like it's a a Bob Chapek drop leak 
thing. This this feels like something something kind of sort of organic. Maybe I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna talk about this when we get back from the break. So stand by. Uh, we'll be right back. Podcasting is our superpower. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. But that's a really good question. That's a great question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for Me to be there asking all of the questions. That's been a question I've been asking myself quite a lot. That's a tough question. This is a rough question. That is a that that is a deep question. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here along with all of you. Glad to have you here with us. This is this is a story that came out over the weekend and we're going to talk about it a little bit here it's it's not going to be a thorough discussion of it like i said you know stories stories have to have time to play out but i thought it was worth noting we talked about this last night on uh, late night culture over on uh, on uh, culture casinos channel this article in the gamer and basically, they have mined Reddit. And I'm not sure what prompted this. But it's an interesting article. I don't know that it's completely 100% what's happening. I have some thoughts about it. But getting into this, VFX artists are speaking out against Marvel, with many refusing to ever work with the entertainment giant again. This comes as artists share accounts of unworkable deadlines and immense pressure leading to stress and unsatisfactory final products. Many have requested to never be put on a Marvel project again, saying that the studio has the, quote, worst VFX management out there. These allegations have been made on subreddit rvfx with artists across the industry sharing their negative experiences with the company. Almost no one in the subreddit has a good word to say about the employer, with many saying that the money and star power aren't worth tolerating such poor working conditions. In a thread titled, quote, I am quite frankly sick and tired of working on Marvel shows, Reddit user Independent AD419 expressed their frustration with the studio. Marvel has probably the worst methodology of production and VFX management out there, they're right. They can never fix the look for the show before more than half the allocated time for the show is over. The artists working on Marvel shows are definitely not paid equivalent to the amount of work they put in. Now, when we're talking about the fixing the look, I can only assume, based on, based on my experience in media, this is the, the, this is the production design. What is the aesthetic of the film going to look like? What's our color palette going to be like? What's our, what's our style guide? And any director and any visual effects director worth their salt is going to have some kind of a 
what they call a look book, some kind of an idea book. This is what I want this film to look like. And they'll pull up a bunch of samples of various different things just to get an idea, a feel for whatever it is that they're working on. George Lucas did this with Star Wars when he cut together a bunch of old World War II aviation dogfight film reels, right? The newsreel stuff. And he put music in from, you know, Fran, uh, Franz Waxman and and Eric Korngold and Wagner and, and that kind of thing. So it's not an unusual thing to sit there and say, I want this to look like this, these things here. You have samples, you have a thing. And if they're saying that Marvel hasn't fixed their look, hasn't decided what the style is going to be visually before they start working on this stuff, then the visual effects houses start behind the eight ball already because they don't know what this thing's supposed to look like. And it sounds a little bit like we're going to make it up as we go. I'll like it when I see it. I'll, I, I know it when I see it. And that's a bad place to be. <clears throat> All right, continuing the article. Others in the replies are quick to, to agree. On Thor, they ask for a couple of mini-sequence... Uh, sorry, on Thor, they ask for a complete mini-sequence two or three weeks before deadline, says Sam FX 2015. Now, the mini-sequences, that could be anything from uh, putting, putting widgets and blinkies on a screen. Maybe somebody's doing a little touchpad thing or they're up in the air with the little, you know, the whooshy things. Or, you know, little, little things to entire sequences. But if they're sitting here talking about a mini-sequence, it's probably some sort of an insert shot or a little thing that's that's off on the side or just something to complete the overall composition of the, of the shot. But two or three weeks before a deadline is not a very good place to be coming up with ideas and figuring out what you need in, in terms of visual effects sequences. Excuse me. Mickey Mumu's account is much the same. Quote, I request to not work on Marvel movies and TV shows. Unfortunately, they're becoming our biggest client. They expect a smorgasbord of options so they can change their mind three more times. Okay. I'm going to give you a little inside baseball here. I'm going to tell a story. Gather around the campfire, kids. <clears throat> And hello, Death Angel Shadow. Uh, late is is fine. Uh, this thing gets saved. You can start start from the beginning when you when you when you have time. So here's my story. No sound on Odyssey. Oh wait, that's very strange. Hang on a second. Let me just double check something here. Why am I not getting any sound on Odyssey? I'm not sure. Huh. Mrs. Boss, if you have a chance, if you're monitoring, if you could check that. Alright, hold on. Huh. Okay, well. We're not getting sound on Odyssey. Let me screenshot that. I, I get my I get my story here in a second. Just let me make sure that I get that in so I don't 
lose it. Because then I'll have to tell the people over at Odyssey, hey, our sound didn't go today. All right, so. <clears throat> so here's the story. Back in the day, I was working at a TV station to make TV commercials. And one TV commercial we had was for the hospital. For a hospital. They were introducing a new stroke treatment called TPA. This was a very long time ago. And I had it in my head. I had the brilliant idea. The very, very brilliant idea. That since this was a, a TV commercial for a hospital, why don't we model it after the opening title sequence to ER? You know, with all of the layers and the flying things. Now, this is before we had computers that gave us nonlinear editing. So I had to do it in pieces, in sequence, layer by layer by layer by layer by layer. It's a 30-second spot. It took me 11 hours to get the first pass done. And my contact at the hospital would come in and look at it. It was not on an Amiga. <laughs> this is even before Amigas. We didn't have computers. We were doing this with three-quarter inch decks. And I, I think it was a Sony controller. In the meantime, they were installing the new Media 100 on a Mac in another system, in another part of the building because this was brand new, non-linear editing. It was Oh, we're going to be a game changer. This is a very long time ago. So as we're going through this, every now and again she'd come back with another change to make. Well, we need a voiceover. Well, now we need a list of symptoms and things to watch out for and the warning signs of stroke. And now we do this and this. And it turns out, in conversation, I, I, I realized, because she actually let it slip, that... She was bringing in any Tom, Dick, and Harry who walked by her office. Hey, come here, tell me what you think of this. And when there was feedback and there were suggestions, <clears throat> she'd want to change the spot again. And I finally looked at her and said, you know, at some point you're going to have to decide this is done. Because it's got to go on the air. It actually has to, has to, be, we got to finish it. And this has happened a few times this over, over the course of my career. You'll have clients who don't quite know what they want. They're not sure. I mean, you, you get a, you get a client who's into say floor coverings. And they know all about carpet and vinyl flooring and hardwoods and laminates and, and the cleaning products that go with it and the installation that goes with it. They know their business. But they don't know how to market their business. They don't know how to come out in front and say, this is how we do this. This is what we do. This is what we're selling. Come see us. So it's up to the marketing people. It's up to us to get that message across in a way that... that engages the attention of the audience you got to have your hook you got to bring them in you got to have them for 30 seconds to pay attention so you can get your message across and one of the first questions i always ask my client what is the message for this spot what do you want to say with this spot and if they say i don't know or if they have all of these different things then you got to pick one 
You only got 30 seconds. You got to figure out what exactly it is that you want to do, want to accomplish with this spot. You want them, do you want them coming into the store? That's a door driver. Do you want, do you want them to actually come see you? Do you want them to call? That's a phone driver. You want them to go to your website? That's a web driver. What's the, what's the end game here? What's the object of the, of the message? What action do you want them to take? And then from that is, <clears throat> do, what, kind of, what kind of product are we selling? What kind of service are we selling? What? So I can, I can understand when these VFX artists are can, sitting here saying they don't know what, they, don't know what they want, I, I've dealt with that. And on the flip side of this, they're expecting miracles. They're expecting all of this last-minute stuff. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the salespeople on these VFX houses are sitting there saying, oh yeah, we can do that, because I've dealt with that too. Where you have a salesperson who comes and says, oh yeah, our production people can do that, without ever consulting with us, without ever asking us first if it's possible, promising the client that, oh yeah, they can do that. I remember one time in particular, we had a, had a salesperson who made all sorts of promises to a client, and then told us what he said that, that they were expecting based on what he told them we could do. And I said, why would you do that? Don't ever make promises that we have to now deliver because you don't know what you're talking about. But the salespeople, and this is true of any industry, but in television, in television it's especially correct salespeople will do anything to get the sale they will say anything to get the sale oh sure we can get it done in two weeks oh yeah we can get it done in a day yeah no problem we can we can we can animate this we can put that graphic there and use this piece of music I had one I had one client one time. It was a used car lot. And the finance director came to us and said, oh, I've got this idea for a commercial. And he wanted to put a naked girl in the back of a pickup. And, of course, we said, you can't do that on network television. <clears throat> you can't do that on local television. You can't even do that on cable television. Except maybe on certain channels. But those certain channels don't have commercials. So you can't do that. But now it falls to me to come up with an idea that actually works. And we managed to do it. But I shot it three different ways so we'd have some safety. And in the end, the spot never aired because the owner never authorized any of the any of the ad project so it was like okay who's in charge here who's the client who's telling us what to do who's spending the money but your salespeople sit there and go okay yes we can do this absolutely we can do it we can do whatever you want so i i have no doubt that some of that is in play here with these visual effects houses because you've got people who don't do the work promising that other people can get the work done in the amount of time allotted
Continuing for the article here. Another thread from three months ago contains even more damning accounts of what it's like to work with Marvel. These allegations were shared when another VFX artist was disappointed to lose out on the opportunity to work with Marvel, something their industry peers reassured them was no great loss. Uh, quote, I am on my third Marvel project in a row and literally just woke up 5.30 a.m. on a Saturday with stress going, I don't want to do this anymore, writes Randy Viar. It's 6 a.m. now, and I'm making a reel to apply someplace that has projects other than Marvel because I can't do this anymore. Mickey Mumu shared a particularly shocking account of their time working with the studio. Quote, Marvel has seen grown men punch walls and throw monitors from stress. I broke down a couple of times and have seen the strain it could put on marriages, but hey, the money was fantastic. F Marvel as a client, the credit name is not worth it. Uh, Ray... Racelinic, oh, Racelin UK agrees. It took me over six months to recover from WandaVision's crunch. It's not worth it. Not when there's better run product projects that look just as good out there. Given how recent some of these projects are, it's unlikely that there's been a dramatic change in the past few months. It remains to be seen if Marvel addresses these criticisms as they become widely shared online. So there's the, <coughs> there's the story. And if you look at the Reddit threads, uh, this discussion is is bouncing back and forth. But there were some other people that were upset that this Rhiannon, uh, Rhiannon Revan, Rhiannon, Rhiannon Beaven even even took this article uh, and and put this stuff out there because it's like you know, she just lifted a bunch of quotes from various different threads. This is supposed to be our, our space where we can vent about things. This was not supposed to be a public thing. And other people are like, dude, it's Reddit. Everything's public at Reddit. You, you just go through it and, you know, anybody can lift quotes from Reddit. And, and that's what they've done. But there's a complaint that maybe she's a little bit lazy in just pulling this stuff and not really reaching out to anybody to get into some details and get deeper in the weeds. Because that kind of thing happens in journalism these days. Nobody wants to put in the work. Nobody wants to put in the time and the effort and do the homework and do the legwork and make the phone calls and send the emails and, and, and reach out and contact people and say, hey, what's the story here? What's the real story here? And I think that's part of a bigger problem. And we talked about this last night on, on Late Night Culture. And I think part of that might be might be in play here on the other side of this. Because you have an entire generation of people who don't really want to work. They don't understand the work ethic. And if you want to bounce that in and say it's the millennials, I, I, I'm not going to put it to that kind of a, of a broad sweeping categorization because I know some people who are Gen Xers who don't want to work. I know some boomers who don't want to work. This is, not, this is not necessarily an age demographic thing so much as it's a mindset. It's, a, it's more of a psychographic than it is a demographic. But demographically, you have a lot of people, for whatever reason, they don't want to work. Either they've they've gotten used to the idea of being home and locked down and government's just going to pay me money and I can stay home. Or they've never learned the work ethic to begin with. 
and you see you see this online a lot. There's a discussion because there are places that have job openings, and we'll we'll interview job candidates over and over and over and over again, and they find that they're going to work. Well, I don't want to do dishes, or I don't want to do this. They come in expecting to get put into management or something. I don't know. They want to be in charge. But that's not real life. That's not reality. That's not the way things are when you're just getting out of school, or even if you're still in school. You're not going to be upper management right off the bat. you got to pay your dues. And there's a whole generation of people who don't understand this. A lot of them are kids in their 20s. And yes, I will call them kids. Because they don't have the mental and emotional maturity to understand that it's you've got to do the work. I'm not saying these VFX artists are like that, but I'm wondering how much of that is in play here. And yes, we hear about crunch all the time with regard to video games. People are putting in 60, 70, 80, 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week. they got to beat the... Beat the the deadline and if they don't make the deadline they just put in a patch and we've even seen this in some of the 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 visual effects stuff there's an article here from film uh total film talking about how stranger things put new vfx shots in right before it was uh volume two was out there for people to stream and in some cases the the vfx guys or the the stranger things guys have even said that they've corrected and changed things after it was live and you didn't know. So, what do you do with that? <clears throat> it's just, I'm, I, I, I want to I want to be careful that I'm not characterizing the the VFX industry, all of these VFX artists as lazy or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I want to be clear. But there is a certain amount of entitlement with a particular generation that maybe maybe there's more to this story than just Marvel's an unreasonable client. Although I wouldn't, I would not doubt that because I've had unreasonable clients to be sure. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, "Quote: Sci-Fi Snob is the best channel on YouTube." You got it from Reddit. Well, there you go. <coughs> Death Angel Santa. They spent all that money on getting a degree in basket weaving. Well, I, you know, it's. You know, snob is right. No one wants to work. Work work mostly sucks. And I talked to Mrs. Boss about this over the weekend. And this is you know, as I'm as I'm getting the wood chipper put together, and I'm thinking about all of the different things that we have going here at the compound and the various different things that I'm I'm having to spend my time on during the day. And it's all work. It's all work of one stripe or another. If I'm if I'm doing prep for this channel, if I'm getting ready for this particular program or H2O or Ranker Pit or, or Good Morning Multiverse, you know, we're doing story prep all week. 
I'm answering emails, I'm booking guests, I'm, I'm doing my, my research and my homework when I do have guests, I'm looking all of this stuff up, I'm having to deal with all of the stuff in the back end as far as the YouTube and the editing and, and post-production and, and converting to the, to the podcast stuff. And then I've got my stagehand work, I'm out, you know, building stages and getting ready for rock concerts and wrestling matches and trade shows and, and, and that sort of thing. And then we have the stuff that we're doing to to you know build out the garden and secure the compound. All it's all it's all work. It's all work. And I looked at I looked at Mindy the other day. I was like, I just I just want a little bit of time where we just relax and just do something fun. And it's not work. Get off the phone. Get off the computers. Get out. And just do something. That's not work related. And Mindy's in the same boat. You know, she's doing her job, but then she's also doing prep for here. She's doing work on the conventions updates and, and the and the Google calendar and the weather and, and that sort of thing. It's all work. But we both understand that it's stuff that has to get done. If you want to accomplish whatever it is that goal is at the end of the week, we have to get certain things done. There's a work ethic involved. And some people don't understand that. So maybe there's a little bit of that here. I doubt it. I'm not saying there's a lot of it. But maybe. The other part of this, though, is all of these different VFX houses, you have Industrial Light and Magic sitting there in the middle of all of this. Now... They're not mentioned by name anywhere that I've seen. But Disney owns Marvel. Disney owns Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm owns Industrial Light and Magic. ILM is used for visual effects all over the industry, all over Hollywood. You've got, you've got ILM has their, has their fingers in, in all sorts of different projects. So my question is, does this complaint apply to ILM are any of these people ILM artists or are these the other visual effects houses scattered throughout California and other places around the world that are supplementing all of the other stuff that ILM doesn't do because ILM's very busy and there are times where ILM's got their plate full and somebody else is going to have to do the stuff. We saw that happen with Star Trek V. I pointed that out last night. Star Trek V, Bran Farron came in and did the visual effects because ILM was booked. So that happens. And you have all of these films that are so special effects heavy that they have a number of different outlets who are working on it, even if it's just... You do these computer screens. Well, okay, there's a, there's a crew for that. You do this display over here. Well, there's a crew for that. All right, you do these backgrounds that show up in the windows of the cockpits of the spaceship for this scene. You know, it, it, it can be something as, as, as specific as that. We need you to do the, watch, the, the, the little display on the watch. When he looks at his watch, you do the little hologram that pops up. And that can be the only element that they do the entire thing. That's one of those little mini sequences we're talking about. That could be the only thing they do in that movie. 
but you still have the time and the effort that it takes to build that thing. And then if it's not right, they have to do it again, or they've got to tweak it. They've got to adjust it. They've got to change the size. They've got to change the orientation. They've got to change the color. Well, they got to, it's all of these little nitpicky details that come into play. Which is why we need some lower budget films that don't do all of this stuff. That's not dependent on blue screen and green screen and CGI that builds out 90% of the environment that you see on the screen. Less is more. We need a lot less. We need, we need more less and less more. When it comes to this stuff. Because we're getting inundated visually and and thor is the, is is a good example of this because the color saturation the color palette all of this stuff on the on the comedy bits you have you have you, we've seen in the promos you've got the black and white parts of it and that's actually cool pretty you know pretty cool visually the way they do that but you got to take that and you got to run that sequence through all sorts of processing and editing and, and alterations and, and adjustments and algorithms and whatnot to get that 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 last final look that you're that you're going for. It's a tough process. I've got a sequence that I'm working on that I've been working on that I shot four years ago, five years ago now. I haven't finished it because I haven't had time. Because I have somebody walking into the frame and I've got to replace the background. So as he's walking into the frame, I have a mask around him to cut out the background and replace it. And I have to go every single frame of the shot. There are 30 frames per second. That's right. It's, it's called rotoscoping, and I'm basically drawing a mask around him, and I have to move individual little points of articulation all the way around him. Doop, 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 doop. And one frame could take me anywhere from five to ten minutes at a time. It's it's painstaking work, and I haven't finished it yet. And I need to. It's always sitting right back there. It's like, man, you really need to finish that sequence. I get it. I understand the 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 stress. You know, I understand getting pulled in 6,000 different directions and everything's got a deadline and it's all got to happen. I need to update all of the IMDb listings for all of our shows. I need to update my resume, my online listings for, you know, my professional work on the different film uh, film commissions and and job boards and that kind of thing for the freelance work that I do I, everything's got to happen I've got to go back on the back end on YouTube and I've got to go in and say okay drop these ads here and trim this off and put these these links here and and there's a lot of there's a lot of post-production on everything that I do here there's just not time I've got books in the review queue dating back to 2012 it's just not enough time. 
and I'm up at 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning generally and I'm not in bed until 2 2 30 there's not enough time It could very well be that I don't manage my time very well. Maybe. It could very well be that a bit enough more than I can chew, and we've got too much that we're trying to do here. Maybe. It comes down to three things, and and this is the case in this in this situation with the with the visual effects artists. It comes down to three things. Time, manpower, and money. And I've, I've talked about this before. Money will get you the other two. If you have the money, you'll get the manpower, you get the time. But sometimes you don't get both. You get the manpower, but you don't get any more extra time. Or you get some time, but you don't get any more people. And that's what we're running into here with the lockdowns. You got a bunch of you got a bunch of companies that have the time, that have the money, but they don't have the people because the people don't want to work. All right, Keely's off. Uh, got to get back to work. Lunch break is over. Thanks very much for being here, Keely. It's always good to see you. Death Angels more likely one of her own kids. It oh, you're talking about the you're talking about Mrs. Boss is talking about knitting a baby blanket. <clears throat> I never took up knitting, although I did. I did have a thought over the weekend because we were talking about you know I I want to be able to do something that's fun and re relaxing that's not work right. Well, I've got this bar right over here, and I've had computers on it. Right now, it's kind of a catch-all. I'm thinking I might clear that space and start building my models again. I've got some models that I got to fix. I got some models that are still in the box that I've never built. Of course, I don't have any idea where I put them once they're once they're together. But I've got I've got two enterprises that I've got to finish. I've got a I think I've got a Voyager. I don't know. I have a look. I have a USS Constitution, the you know old Ironsides seaworthy Constitution. So maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll set up a, a model making bench and no cameras anywhere around. It's not going to be another. It's not going to be another channel. <laughs> Stop says every live from the bunker is the best show ever. I hope I'm not overpromising. No, every show is the best. The best show ever because we're constantly we're constantly working to improve. <coughs> That's the goal is to is to make things better. So to always do uh, do more. We we deliver we deliver on our promises, and it's, it's our 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 way of of making an effort here and doing it all for you. We're glad you come back for it. Uh, Death Angel Shadow says I need to plan out my basement and put up some walls for my ham shack office bar and tabletop gaming. Ham, a ham shack, I guess, is a ham radio. I need to look into that. I got a I got a base. I got a base station CB. I've got to figure out getting an antenna for it. All part of planning for the apocalypse, which might or might not happen one of these days. I don't know. So, in the meantime, we'll keep coming back here, doing our thing, at least for a while. 
Uh, I, I, I will share that Culture Casino threatened me last night. Not, not, a, not a serious thing. But I've I've talked about maybe taking a break or maybe shutting down the channel. Right? I just you know just, you get those things. You kind of vent frustration. He's actually threatened to come here personally and smack me if I shut down the channel. So we'll keep doing this because I don't want to get smacked by Culture Casino. <clears throat> All right, that's gonna do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Don't forget there are four lights. H two O tonight. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.